welcome everybody. You are listening to the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Alex Ivers is back again. So last week we had the Dale Scott interview. That's why I didn't do a Red Sox series preview. But I hope you guys did enjoy that. I enjoyed it. I know Dale enjoyed it. You know, even though that he really doesn't do that often. And, you know, he probably doesn't like to do it every day. But it was a good discussion. You could tell that he liked the questions and so did I. Asking them and getting the right answers, of course. So before we get into today's topics, I've been promoted to Vice President of AllNewYorkSports.com. Thank you, Max Edelman, for promoting me to that role. Of course, you can check out some of the articles that I edited and some of the articles that I actually wrote myself. And there is a possibility that I do add two more podcast hosts. I'll keep them in mind, obviously, depending on their schedules and how often they want to come on because they're both giant fans and they're both Yankees fans, but I also have two guys who I really want to do a live episode with. They're not uh, Giants fans, but they are Yankees fans. We still like to do football discussions with those two guys, but that is, of course, my decision because I started this podcast, and I'll see if I want to add one set of two co-hosts or another, and obviously, you know, two of them already, Luca and Sean from the live streams. I want to get them on for a live episode And I want to do that maybe this week or next week, but hopefully we do it sometime soon. Obviously, before everybody's school starts and whatever like that. And I could be working on another interview, depending on if I get the approval from a certain network to interview this certain guy. But if it does work out, I will be glad to do it. And it's going to be one of my more, I would say, popular interviews because this guy does primetime football. He's not a broadcaster, but I'll get to that another time because I want it really to be a surprise. So here are today's topics brought to you by alltodowithgaming.com. Save 30% off your entire order with the promo code BIGBLUE30. That's BIGBLUE30. For Giants topics to start out, we have the CJ Board waiver claim and the Cody White cut. Obviously, we'll talk about that. Also, Graham Gano was signed, the former Carolina Panther, then hit the 63-yard game-winning field goal in 2018 against the Giants while he was with the Panthers. Chandler Canzaro was cut. Then, obviously, we'll bounce into the Yankees' topics. Aaron Judge was put on the DL. Also, DJ LeMahieu was put on the DL with a left thumb sprain. We're going to recap the Red Sox series. Of course, the Yankees won the Red Sox series and... Haven't lost a series since the Tampa Bay series, of course. And that's their next opponent, the Tampa Bay Rays at home. We're going to preview those starts and who are the expected probables and their stats against each other this season. Of course, they did face at Tropicana Field earlier this season. So to get started on the CJ Board topic, it's not really a big topic, I should say, but the waiver claim of CJ Board does add wide receiver depth. Obviously, they cut Cody White, who they also signed with Jackson Dennis a couple days ago. And they were about to sign him with Ross Cockrell, but unfortunately that negotiation went in the garbage. Board only appeared in about four games last season, probably mostly for special teams duties. But he did get two receptions from Gardner Minshew, one of them being in the Texans game. He had two receptions for 31 yards overall last season. He was targeted only three times, so he was in there probably for not many snaps. Of course, you had D.D. Westbrook, and you also had... DJ Chark as well, and the other receivers that were in front of CJ Board as well. So the Jaguars cut him a couple days ago. Giants picked him off off waivers. They cut Cody White, the wide receiver from Michigan State. We didn't hear much about him through the days that he was in camp, but he was signed along with Jackson Dennis, another undrafted free agent. He was a tackle, of course, and then 
a couple days later, he was cut for CJ Board. So now let's get into the Graham Gano topic, which is really more big of a headline. So on Sunday, Lawrence Times former Giants kicker reported that Graham Gano was going in for a visit with the Giants and that he was going to try out, of course, and, you know, do the physical and COVID test, which is obviously normal. So a couple hours later, Ian Appaport reports that the Giants plan on signing Graham Gano and making him eventually compete with Chandler Catanzaro. So earlier on Monday, Beat Media reported that Chandler Catanzaro was released and it is Graham Gano's job to lose. What do I think about this, of course? Now, I would prefer Gano over Catanzaro for a lot of reasons. I think Gano is just a better kicker. Obviously, both didn't kick last year, but Gano at least had some physical activity. Now, I don't know if Catanzaro actually worked out at all or if he did any kicking exercises. As I said, he was retired at that point, and many people didn't know if he was doing exercises to be a kicker, so they brought him back from retirement, and eventually he seemed to get the job pretty much after Aldrich Rosas was released, and then now Graham Gano comes in and takes his spot what it looks like. They may bring in another person, I don't know, but competition's always good. Obviously, Graham Gano did not play last year. His last season was 2018. 2019 was on the injured reserve list. Obviously, Joey Sly, the undrafted free agent, took over for him in Carolina last year, and now he's doing it this year again. So in 2018, in the limited opportunity that Graham Gano got, he was 30 for 33 on extra points. He had a touchback percentage of 75.8%. Of course, that's when the kickoffs happen. And of course, for field goals, he was 14 for 16, the longest being 63 of his career. Of course, against the New York Giants, and at 87 0.5% when it came to field goal percentage, of course. So he did have a good season, or about an average season, of course, for a kicker that is his age now. He is, of course, 33 years old. He was born in 1987, of course, but he was brought into the league 2009 with the Washington Redskins at the time, and he made his way over to Carolina in 2012. Obviously, he's had some good seasons, of course, since then. So, for my overall thoughts on this, I don't think he's the long-term option at kicker. Obviously, I would think somebody like Matt McCrane or maybe somebody else. But I think Gano is a better option right now than somebody like Chandler Catanzaro. Obviously, Giants cut Rosas, bring in Catanzaro just for the time being. And then, obviously, bring in Gano and they obviously think he's a better kicker. And they release Catanzaro as the corresponding move. Honestly... It was kind of pointless to bring Chandler Catanzaro out of retirement when he didn't even play in a game or a preseason game. So that just seems a little silly to me, but hey, that's what happens sometimes in sports. Real quickly for some camp takeaways before we get into the Yankees topics. Obviously, Darnay Holmes has looked good. Ballantyne has had his moments, but you could see how Jerome Henderson really thinks of him. Uh, The starting offensive line seems to be right now, it's going to be Thomas, Hernandez, Pulley, Zeitler and Fleming all across the line. Gates is working at center. Obviously, Mark Colombo has a lot of praise for him as the alpha male eventually, but he's the second team center right now. And obviously, Matt Peart is doing his thing. And everybody has noticed, like, there was this one thing on the Giants social media page where Peart was blocking Lorenzo Carter. And of course, it would have been a run play. And you see how he handled him, and the, and the Giants page says, oh, Matt Peart doesn't mess around because his run-blocking grade from 2018-2019 at UConn, 2018 was a 70.7, and 2019 was a 90.1. 
So obviously there was some improvement there. That's why his draft stock went up a little bit, of course. And of course that is a smaller school, but obviously you have to flow that into the NFL somehow. Chad Slade is the right guard for the second team offense, of course. That's just for now. And he was the reserve guard last year that wasn't active for many games. But that is a minor takeaway to see. Also, Jones and McCoy have been doing pretty good. The starting QB and the backup QB. Benjamin Victor has been making a name for himself. Catching all types of balls in the end zone. And making some nice plays. So, if he bulks up a little bit, I think he could make the roster. And I think right now, he has a shot to make the roster. Because obviously, you got Tate, you got Shepard, you got Slayton. Where are those next three guys? Coleman's been impressive so far from what I've heard from Beat Media. I wrote an article about him, about him possibly making the roster, him possibly not making the roster. It's going to be interesting. And just in a couple of days, I'm going to come out with my roster predictions. And I'm going to calculate how many I actually got right last year. Because I did it around possibly the third, fourth preseason game last year. And then I started coming out with my predictions. And I would say I got most of them correct. At least coming from me, obviously I haven't reviewed them. But coming from that, it might be easier or even harder to see without preseason games and just to see what the beat media is telling you and what the coaches are telling you because, of course, it will be harder to make predictions that way. Obviously, people made predictions already. Are they accurate? Are they not? Go see it for yourself. But honestly, right now, in a couple of days, I'm starting to construct it, of course, already. As you saw my tweets about Benjamin Victor and Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin, of course. So I'm making sure that at least half to over half of my predictions are correct this year just so I could probably prove a point of how much I know football but I'm doing it for fun anyway because I like doing it so obviously over the past couple of days Aaron Judge and DJ LeMahieu found themselves on the injured list DJ LeMahieu a couple days ago obviously swung and missed at a 1-0 pitch it was obviously called for a strike because he swung at it and he didn't feel good with his thumb of course he finished out the A-B but got taken out of the game for Tyler Wade and eventually was put on the DL. But Judge is a different situation here. Now, everybody had a problem with the way Boone came out with his injury and really covered for it. And here's what I have to say on it. So everybody got mad a couple of days ago when Aaron Boone just randomly took Judge out of a game. That was against the Braves, of course, last Tuesday. And of course, I didn't cover it. I know I didn't cover it because I had the Dale Scott interview and Tuesday, I obviously record early, and sometimes on the Monday or on the Sunday, and most likely on the Tuesday before a Yankee game goes out. Now, Judge came out a couple innings later after he hit the home run, Talkman filled in for him in right field. Everybody the next day was exploding on social media saying, oh, why did Boone take him out? Why did he do that? And I was pretty much like that too. I'm like, why are you taking him out? Literally, he hit a home run and you're going to take him out. We're not in a blowout game where we could just use pitchers as pencils and hitters as rocks. Where we, you know, where we lead by like 10 runs. You know, it's not that situation. The final score was 9-6. And then Boone came out and he said Judge had a little bit of tightness from the AstroTurf. And everybody's wondering, it's like, He's played on AstroTurf before, you know. What's the what's the missing piece of this puzzle here? We're trying to figure it out. So then everything comes out. You know, he had a hamstring injury, goes on the IL, and Boone finally says, okay, he has this. And this ended up being a calf strain. So he went on the IL, and Sunday reports came out that said 
Aaron Judge feels 100% like he could play on Monday. And reports came out and he said, I begged the Yankees to keep me off the injured list. I could have played today. So it's really a weird situation where you don't know who to believe in this case because Boone, was he trying to do the best for Aaron Judge and just say, okay, we're going to rest you a couple days, really put you on the 10-day IL. When you're done the 10 days, you're going to come back and play for us. Was he trying to do that? And may seem very skeptical, but was he trying to give Clint Frazier and Mike Talkman more opportunities now that, you know, now that Judge is on the DL? I mean, it seems silly, but it could possibly be something. And we hear this all the time with players trying to get off the injured list or even not go on the injured list because they think they're fine, but they may have something that's bothering them that will bother them later on if they don't get the rest now. So maybe it was a doctor's protocol. Uh, Maybe it was even Boone's protocol and said, hey, we're not going to risk you and put you out on the field and risk another injury again because, remember, this season is 60 games. We're going to put Frazier in right field. We're going to put Talkman in right field. And when you feel 100% and when the doctor says, okay, you're good to go, you're good to go. So it could be a mixture of things. And honestly, if Judge felt 100% and maybe nothing was wrong with him, you should have gave him another shot. But at the same time, you don't want to risk anything. And Judge has been injured a lot the last couple of years. 2017, he was fine. 2016, he was fine. 2018, 2019, now 2020, he's been hurt a lot. So they really have to keep judge in glass and make sure he doesn't get destroyed and the main point of that saying was is that they need to protect him they need less injuries as possible and I'm gonna get to the LeMahieu thing in a minute which really I discussed before but of course I'll discuss it again because judge went on the IL before LeMahieu and real quick before we get to the LeMahieu topic about his injury, here are Judge's stats before he got injured, of course. So he played in 17 games, 68 plate appearances, 62 at-bats, 16 runs, 18 hits, 2 doubles, 9 home runs, 20 RBIs, 3 walks, 18 strikeouts, 290 batting average, 343 on-base percentage, 758 slugging and OPS at 1,101. Obviously, the other stuff you'll see there, but those are his stats before he went on the injured list. So let's take a look at DJ LeMayhew's stats before he went on the IL. And of course, we'll talk about how he got his injury and what it will do for the future. So LeMayhew played in 19 games, 79 plate appearances, 73 at bats, 15 runs, 30 hits so far. One double, one triple, two home runs, eight RBIs, one stolen base, five walks, seven strikeouts, 411 batting average, 456 on base percentage, 534 slugging, 990 OPS. And obviously you see the other stats that are there. So in the second game of the series, DJ LeMahieu was batting against former Yankees pitcher Nathan Avaldi, And of course he swung on and missed on a strike and he was hurt. Boone and Steve Donahue were checking him out. They said he was okay to go, but then they later took him out and put in Tyler Wade. And then everybody was growing concerns. What happened to DJ? Was it his wrist? Was it this? Was it that? Sprain left them. He goes on the DL. So they called up Miguel Andujar. Obviously, he's not playing second. He's just going to play a little bit of outfield and some third base as well. But he was called up again, obviously, just to fill the roster spot. And Tyro Estrada 
And Tyler Wade will be filling LeMay Hughes' void. Will they be batting first? Of course not. Because LeMay Hughes' trademark is batting first. I don't think Tyler Wade or Tyler Estrada batting first is even a smart idea. But the point is, I think Wade has improved vastly. And I'm starting to like him a lot more than I did before. Because I think a lot of the other players are starting to rub off on him in a good way. And he's making a lot more defensive and offensive plays compared to these seasons before. Now, when you look at his average and just the total stats from 2017-2020 on, I'm going to show the graphic here from BaseballReference.com. First season, obviously, 63 plate appearances and 30 games, 155 average, then bumped it up to 36 games and 167 average, then 43 games and 245 batting average. Right now, he's batting 222 with 16 games played in 2020 of course with the shorter season but I think if you give him more opportunity he's gonna just go out there and play obviously Tyro Estrada caught my eye when he hit three home runs in the inner squad scrimmages right now they have not given him a lot of opportunities he's only batted three times three plate appearances four games of course some filling in on defense 667 batting average which is basically going Two for three, and he has one RBI. Yeah, good, but they're not giving him, you know, the total reps for hitting, of course. Now, he had three home runs last year and a 250 batting average. Of course, that was more games. If you're totally going to fill LeMahieu's spot, you need to interchange them in there. So, Wade, maybe one game, Tyro Estrada, another. I really like Tyro Estrada, and I think that they should give him a lot more opportunities. But saying that, Wade has come a long way ever since his rookie season in 2017-2018, and I didn't even like him then. I didn't even like him, but he's come a long way, and I'm starting to like him a little bit more. But I still have some doubts about him. So it's going to be interesting to see over the next two to three weeks. That's Boone's timetable for LeMayhew's injury, of course. So we'll get to see how that plays out for these young players and see what they do on offense and defense. I think, honestly, Tyler Wade's the better defensive player. And then I think that Tyler Estrada is a better offensive player. That's just how I think so far. And obviously limited opportunities, but when you get the bigger opportunities and when you get more opportunities, it's better. And we'll see what these guys can do for the future because obviously DJ LeMahieu is not going to be signed to a 10-year extension contract. He might. He might, and I might be blind eye to it, but he definitely deserves an extension, but it's good to have that depth and that next man up mentality. That's what I loved about 2019. Everybody went down, unfortunately, but people kept coming up and started hitting the ball and making defensive plays. That's why we went to the ALCS. A lot of people forget that. A lot of people say, oh, we didn't win the World Series last year. Yeah, look what we had. We had a bunch of young players come up for the injured veterans and look what happened we weren't expected to win 100 games with all the injuries that happened we did we did win over 100 games you're wrong so for LeMahieu let him rest let him get over this thumb injury and let Wade and Estrada get the at-bats and the defensive plays and everything else like that I would say defensive snaps but it's not football so I'm moving off the LeMahieu subject and the judge subject to go into the Red Sox series subject. So the Yankees beat the Red Sox in all four games from the 14th to the 17th. Obviously, Cole, Paxton, Happ, and King won those games, of course. Not very hard. The Red Sox are not a good pitching staff. And 
when their offense can't figure it out, their pitching is not going to save them. And that's how they have been for this whole year, honestly. So let's identify some takeaways from this series. Obviously, you lost DJ LeMahieu. You brought up Miguel Andujar, but Estrada, Tyler waiting to play second base, not Andujar. Cole was dominant the first game, other than maybe the home run to Alex Verdugo. He's not Cy Young level yet, but he's still a dominant pitcher that the Yankees need. He hasn't lost a game yet. Holder and Sessa are probably the only leaky parts of the bullpen because we saw in the Paxton start that Sessa started giving up runs in the 8th or the ninth inning and it was slowly creeping up to the lead and that wasn't good. And Holder also gave up some runs. That of course was two runs during the Garrett Cole start which was game one of course. Sanchez is slowly trying to make a comeback from his struggle. Of course he was hitting in the O's and the early 100s. Start off the year, he had two home runs during the series. When Clint Frazier was called on the opportunity since Aaron Judge was out, well, he hit a homer and hit a lot of other hits as well. Again, we've seen this before from Frazier, and it's a good thing. They shouldn't send him down again. Everybody is pleading for that, and he probably is too, because if he gets sent down again, then what's the point of keeping him up? Well, got Judge in the outfield, you got Talkman, you got Stanton. Obviously, when all these guys get healthy, you know, the Yankees have a filled outfield right now. And I think Frazier would make a probable death piece, especially in this year. I don't think you'd be putting Andujar in left field. I think, honestly, when Judge comes back, you could send Andujar down. Because, what was he? He was playing left field there, so he dropped the fly ball. And Wade and Estrada didn't make any errors, really. Estrada hit a home run. So... There is no point in really keeping Andujar up here if he's just going to play left field and not getting infield time because he was brought up because LeMahieu was put on the deal. He's not playing second base. So you might as well keep Frazier up here and send Andujar down when Judge is back. Obviously, the Yankees saw some other good bets with Mike Ford and Luke Voigt hitting home runs. And just to point out a particular takeaway, obviously, James Paxton is not himself this season. We know that. And Hap did better in his start. Let's compare the stats real quickly. Hap, five and a two-thirds innings pitched, three hits, one run, two walks, and three Ks. That was the third game of the set, which of course was against Chris Mazza. And the home and the only home run he surrendered was to Kevin Pillar in the third inning. So Hap actually did solid I wouldn't say solid, actually. I would say more about decent because he only got three Ks. He did have two walks three hits obviously that is low very good for him five to two thirds innings pitch now let's take a look at James Paxton's stats he did get the win also but his stats are a little different and a little below Jay Happ's stats now he did go five innings of course Happ went five and two thirds gave up six hits three runs two K's one walk and of course the home run home run being to Xander Bogarts that was in the third inning of course but other than that, Paxton didn't do that bad. It's just that he's not himself this year. And if you're really looking at it from another standpoint, you shouldn't be playing like this in a contract year. Because the Yankees, outlooking the 2020 season for next year, Tanaka and Paxton, they are free agents. I believe Happ is as well. You're going to need some starting pitching other than Garrett Cole and Luis Severino when he comes back. Because I'm pretty sure Severino is not going to be fire off the ball right away. So right now, it looks like Tanaka's winning the race to come back. And obviously, he signed that seven-year deal. I'm pretty sure with that eighth-year option back when he signed with the Yankees in 2014. I remember that. But the point is that 
Paxton is struggling this year, and that's not a good thing because, again, it is a contract year. And he's how old now? Oh, that's right, he's 31 years old. And you may say, oh, 31, that's not bad. A lot of teams look past 31 and say, okay, we need younger guys. I mean, Paxton, he could come back again, but Tanaka has really outdueled him, and Tanaka hasn't even pitched as much as he has because of the concussion he suffered on July 4th. So that's just a look into that. And those are my main takeaways from this series. Of course, if you guys have any more takeaways, and please comment, please tell me on Twitter, something like that, contact me. But let's skip into the final subject, and it's the race series, of course, and they are the ones that took three out of four at Tropicana Field last time, and we didn't know necessarily how to solve their puzzle, so we lost three out of four. And they come to us for three games before we go to City Field and versus the Mets, and then on to Atlanta, and so on and so forth. So here are the problems for the series. going to be Tanaka Snell, Garrett Cole, and Tyler Glasnow, and Paxton, and whoever's going to pitch for the other side. They haven't determined that probable yet. But as you see, for the first two games, I mean, Glasnow has been struggling a little bit this year. That's why I took him off my fantasy team. But Blake Snell has been Blake Snell, for lack of better words. And he's going to give Tanaka a long run for his money. And, of course, these two did pitch against each other. These two did pitch in Tropicana Field against each other. And it ended up being a pitcher's duel. And the Rays won one to nothing, And Adam Adovino got the loss last time. And that was the first game of the series, which would tail into, okay, how is this series going to look like? Of course, the double headers had a play or had a uh, say in it. But other than that, you know, we only won one game that series, and that was the game Cole pitched. But without further ado, let's discuss the stats against each other. Tanaka, here are stats from last time out against Blake Snell. He pitched five innings, of course. The workload was a little less, of course, because of the concussion he had July 4th. They want to ease the workload. And, you know, this start, they're probably going to give him more pitches. But five innings pitched, one hit, five Ks, and 59 pitches, and obviously a 1.17 ERA, which is very good for him. And even though it is a limited timing and these Rays can do very good, the Yankees haven't shaken them yet. So if they really want a chance at this division... And maybe make the Rays go away. They need to win all three games of this series. Or at least win the series. But it would still mean that the Rays win the season series of course. Because it's seven games at this point. But here are Blake Snell's stats from the last time. Snell pitched three innings. Two walks and five Ks. 59 pitches. Same amount as Masahiro Tanaka actually. And they did go through a couple of bullpen pitchers. They went through Kittredge. Went to Fairbanks, they went to Diego Castillo, they went to Anderson, and then Chaz Rowe got the win because Adovino got the loss. So let's look at Masahiro Tanaka's stats on the year. Of course, three games started, all of them he appeared in, of course. He had a 2.31 ERA, 11.2 innings pitched, 10 hits, 300 runs, 4 runs total, 1 home run, 3 walks, and 11 strikeouts, and 48 batters faced. And here are Tanaka's stats from his last start. This was against the Atlanta Braves, and we won that game 6-3. Loisica got the win, and Britton got the save, of course. Tanaka, four innings pitched, five hits, two earned runs, two walks, three Ks, and a homer. Of course, that home run was to Johan Camargo, but the Yankees later tied the game with a Sanchez shot and with a Frazier shot. So the hitting pretty much saved him there, but from then on out, he was pretty much... A solid pitcher there. 
66 pitches in four innings. So at that point, I guess it's all about workload because in the last couple of starts we've seen, he hasn't gone long enough. So Boone has mostly relied on the bullpen to kind of save Tanaka's workload. And I feel like the next start, he should go a little longer than four or five innings. See what the workload is there because what are we, a month and nearly a half from the concussion and he's been doing well. So I think that you need to increase the workload, but I am no doctor. So Blake Snell's last start was against Boston Red Sox. They won 9-5. And here are Snell's stats. Four hits, six strikeouts, 70 pitches, and five innings. So pretty solid start for him. He didn't go that long. I mean, he had, what, 70 pitches and five innings. It's not that bad. I mean, of course, I wasn't watching the game. But, you know, Snell is Snell, and he's dominant when they put him out there. His 2.08 ERA on the year. So it's going to be very challenging for these Yankee hitters. And hopefully the plate discipline is better. Obviously Sanchez had a better series this series than his past couple. Hopefully he learned something. Now here are Blake Snell's yearly stats. He is 1-0. A 2.08 ERA as I just said. Four games started. 13 innings pitched. 11 hits. 3 earned runs. 2 home runs. 4 walks. 20 strikeouts. So pretty dominant. The usual for Blake Snell. So I think the Yankees have to get less cocky with this matchup, knowing they were facing a bunch of AAA pitchers with this Red Sox series. Now they're going to be facing potential Cy Young guys. Well, really, Blake Snell is the only one, but they do have some other solid pitchers, and of course, the bullpen. So let's skip to the next game. It is a matchup of former Pittsburgh Pirates. Yes, Garrett Cole and Tyler Glasnow. So Cole obviously pitched very good against the Red Sox. Gave him only one home run, as I mentioned, but let's take a look at the stats anyway. Pitched seven innings, four hits, one earned run, 95 pitches, one home run, and eight Ks. Longest a Yankee starter has gone this year. I'm going to say that right now, and that's common knowledge. If you've been watching, starter's been going four, five, six innings. He went seven, so that's very good for Cole and knowing that we could trust him in the long run. So last time out against the Rays, he gave up three runs. He pitched in four and a two-thirds innings, six hits, one walk, 10 Ks, and one home run. Now, of course, the Martinez home run really prevented him from getting his 21st straight win. He had a 20-game win streak before that, but obviously Chad Green finished out the inning and finished out the next inning because if you don't pitch five innings, you don't get the win. That's how baseball works, everybody. And Garrett Cole, he did solid, but unfortunately, he couldn't finish it out because of the trouble he was in at that time. Now here are his yearly stats. He has four wins, 2.76 ERA, five games started, one complete game. Technically, that would be his first start against Washington. 29.1 innings pitched, 20 hits, nine earned runs, five home runs, five walks, 34 strikeouts. So let's take a look at the opposing side, Tyler Glasnow. He actually lost the game that Cole pitched in. Obviously, Chad Green got the win. Glasnow got the loss. Let's take a look at his stats from his last start. That was in Boston. He went four innings, had eight hits, five earned runs, two walks, and eight Ks, 84 pitches in those four innings. So obviously, knowing the Red Sox and how porous of an offense they have been, this is really a struggle for Tyler Glasnow, and he's really falling out of what he actually used to be in Pittsburgh and what they thought he was. That's why they traded for him, and this is what he is now, of course, it's looking a lot like James Paxton, but Tyler Glasnow did not get the win. It was Beeks that got the win. 
So obviously I mentioned that he started against Cole last time at Tropicana Field. The Yankees only win. He got the loss that game. Two and two-thirds innings pitch, five hits, four and runs, three walks, five Ks, and one homer. 71 pitches in that time. So that's a lot. Obviously, they lost that game 8-4, to four, and a final was only in seven innings because it was the doubleheader. So, now let's take a look at his stats on the year. He's 0-1, 7.04 ERA, four games started, 51.1 innings pitched, 17 hits, 12 earned runs, three home runs, 10 walks, and 27 strikeouts. So, the strikeouts aren't too bad. The walks may need to be fixed up a little bit, and, of course, the runs are an issue. Especially in the time being that he starts because it looks like the Rays offense doesn't come alive when he starts and then he just screws up and his ERA skyrockets which isn't a good thing so if the Yankees lose game one they need this game and the game whoever else is pitching obviously the next game whoever's facing Paxton they need them to do bad and the Yankees need to destroy them on offense because there is no way you're gonna intend to shake the Rays and not win two out of three games now let's go to game three real quick. Obviously, I'm only showing Paxton stats because I don't know who's going to be starting third game for the Tampa Bay Rays. So Paxton's last start was against the Boston Red Sox. As I mentioned, he wasn't too shabby, but he wasn't solid at the same time, or he was about decent. Now, he went five innings, six hits, three on runs, one walk, two Ks, and a homer. Now let's take a look at his stats when he versed the Rays the last time, and of course, it was no decision. Because there were questions about whether Boone should have pulled him out of the game earlier or possibly later. 6.1 innings pitched, 4 hits, 3 on runs, 1 walk, 11 Ks, and 2 home runs. 87 pitches in that span of time. So obviously 11 Ks is a good thing, but Mishmash with everything else in that start wasn't really that good. Holder obviously held it as best as he could, and Burton of course gave up the walk-off hit. So here are stats on the year. He's 1-1. One 7.04 ERA, so if I'm not mistaken, that's around or the same ERA as Tyler Glasnow, which isn't a good thing. Four games started, 15.1 innings pitched, 22 hits, 14 runs, 12 of them earned, four homers, three walks, and 18 strikeouts so far. So if you're looking to beat the Rays, and I'm going to say this finally before we end the program, look at all the games. If you don't win game one, you have to win the next two games because you're not going to shake them. Remember, this is expanded playoffs this year. The Rays could possibly beat the Yankees in the first round of the playoffs if they don't shake them and maybe have the Orioles go in front of them. It's basically two team per division winning and going in the playoffs. That's how it is this year because of all the expanded playoffs and whatever. Whatever you feel about it, you know, that's your feeling about it. Of course, I don't like it, but everybody's opinion is different. That's what makes everybody everybody. But you need to shake the Rays here. They could possibly beat the Yankees in the first round of the playoffs. It only takes one game, people. It's called the wild card, and the Yankees have been beat at that before. 2015, people. So thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Obviously, it's a Tuesday-Friday thing. I'm trying to get another guest. As I said, I'm going to leave that as a surprise. Hopefully, the Yankees win the next couple of games, and hopefully, everybody keeps progressing in Giants training camp. Follow our social media page at Big Blue in the Bronx, Twitter, and Instagram. Most notably, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Podcasts are available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, and CastBox. Thank you guys for supporting us, and we will see you on Friday.